One vibrant, confident young German girl is successfully navigating her way through adolescence when her country revokes her citizenship, leaving her a stateless pariah. She is to suffocate her dreams, pause her life, and restrict her waking hours to the exhausting aim of survival, living day after day in a series of rooms behind a bookshelf, never knowing if this will be the last day of her life. Her name is Anne Frank. The book, The Diary of a Young Girl, and you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! Hey y'all, this is Kari. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how are you today? How you been? How's your week? How's your life? Listen, I got a. Remember a couple weeks ago I said I got a cold? Yeah, what happened? I did. I got another one and I fought that bear off. <laughs> Are you sure it was only a cold? It was a cold. Okay. I'm recovered. I am recovered. And so I treated myself to recovery and I recovered. Can I say that again? Yeah. I recovered. Mm-hmm. Did you make that Granny, yeah, I'm feeling Granny better Smith now. apple concoction you was trying to make? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you should yes, give me the recipe. We'll post it on our website. Okay. A little home remedy. That's cool. Um, Yeah, I think it's cold and flu season, so that's going to happen a lot. People are going to get the cold and or flu and be like, uh, I got COVID. Because what else exists anymore? (laughs) No one gets anything else anymore. So. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I literally was like, "Uh uh-oh. I'm not getting COVID. Um, <laughs> Let me put everything down me that I could possibly put down yeah. me. And that's what I did. Yeah, okay. of course. Well, I went through a whole box of Kleenex. <laughs> oh, that sounds miserable. Mm-hmm. Well, did you have fun watching our premiere, our YouTube premiere last Thursday? We're on ah! BookTube. The aunties have arrived. It was fun. It's official. <laughs> yeah. And today we have a new episode, you guys. So go over to Lit Society Pod on YouTube and you will find our latest video. We're going to release those every Thursday uh, for a little bit. So let us know what you think. Uh, if they're too silly for you, if you find them too, too edifying, like if we're just being too book smart, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Uh, but yeah, we want to know your thoughts. We're having fun over there. So, yeah. Yes. Yes, we are. That's that. Well, let's move on to Society Says. This is the portion of our show. I love this part where we share your comments, readers, with the rest of our lit society. Alexis, is there a comment you found uh, somewhere, anywhere that you thought particularly lit? Anywhere, anywhere on the World Wide Web. Yes. Let me just tell you, okay? I went back to our review of Animal Farm, <laughs> which was one of our first releases back in January. It was, And this yeah. was on the website. Okay. This is from The Podcast Attic, and they said, I read this book as a kid and never really loved it until now. <gasps> this show is great. I said, yes, we are. I said, thank you. And I said, thank you again. Yes, they did. You guys thank make you us feel so addict. good. Yeah. Y'all make us feel like we um, are entertaining you, bringing a smile to your face. And that's why we do it. Yep. <laughs> so thank you. How about you, Kari? What did you find? A litty comment, did you? So I found a very awesome comment on Instagram. And this is um, by Wordy Birdie Reads. It's under a like promo commercial we created for our new booktube series. And Wordy Birdie Reads says, whoop, I've been on these random boards. So sick of this pandemic YouTube binges. It's like you read my mind. And since I can't really safely get out and about yet, I'm a thousand percent here for all the Chicago awesomeness. Thank you, Wordy Birdie Reads. Yay. 
And I hope we got to chat with you uh, during our premiere. It was a lot of fun. You guys came out into the comments section on YouTube and supported us. And we that really does make us feel good. So thank you, Wordy Birdie Reads. And thank you to all you listeners. Remember, readers, to have your comments shared. Message us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or, and we especially love this one, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and we may share your comments on the show. So now let's get into our theme of the week. Each week we select a theme to discuss based on the book we're reading. And this week, the theme is Corona check-in. Yep. (laughs) I love it. That's it. I was going to talk about how to survive in isolation, but I think we covered that really well in the very first episode of our show where we talk about loneliness. It is different being um, in quarantine, for example. Um, And so let's dive into that, how we are handling tackling 2020 successfully while mostly stuck in the house for eight months, Alexis. Can you believe it? Eight months? Eight. I thought we were still at six. Months. No, like since March, girl. We've been up giving up our weekends we've been giving up our weekends we stopped seeing many of our friends stopped hugging them too it's been a lot so alexis how are you doing well i have never been better <laughs> in the separation in people versus alexis in the case never of people versus alexis you winning that's all you trying to say <laughs> and you got a restraining order against people and they better not come around you absolutely okay. absolutely all See, right. the way my lungs is set up we like the separation yeah so i struggle with a cold i don't need the extraness but we're not I gonna pretend it's really just hard. about your respiratory system you also deal with a little dose of anxiety right i do i do so for I a do. lot of people um being away from people listen nothing <laughs> makes you anxious and nothing makes you lonely like people it's weird but it's true <laughs> Believe that on that. okay? (laughs) so so having an excuse not to get together, not to feel like, you know, you got FOMO for missing out on something that somebody else. There ain't nobody doing nothing. So so, but they are the people on the interwebs are doing. But we can all agree they're crazy. So (laughs) it's a different type of experience when the government say you got to be in the house or in this case, science, then it feels like great. Now who now who going to check me, boo? If I say I ain't going out, I ain't going out. It's science. It's science. It's nope, science. can't have nobody yes. over. It's science. Uh, <laughs> pandemic. Scary. So, yes. are you keeping a routine, Alexis? How are you staying human? Okay, so yes, I have a routine. I've been really working that out. That has been a requirement here. Um, I start work, in work, set times. Sometimes I work a little later. This is a season where I work a little later a lot. Yeah. But that's in there. Um, it's it's baked in. I'm writing it down. And to live by a schedule keeps me very sane. And it also keeps me productive. And I've mentioned before that I see a therapist and I see a um, strength coach, a strength coach. Yeah. yeah. And so both of those, um, seeing both of them has helped me to continue on and my goals and kind of see them in front of me like they're still achievable. So I'm not in this um, hole that I could be in, I'm lost in connection with everybody else, but I, I still have these goals that I'm achieving and I'm working towards, which makes me feel good. And, and I mean, good. can I just say you are my Shiro? We don't talk a lot about our personal goals on the show, but you are achieving some major goals in your life and I love to see it. So you're not isolated in that you are still keeping in touch with people, particularly over Zoom, over phone calls. Um, We still get together with our friends over Zoom. It's not the same, Mm -hmm. but we're able to connect with a wider range of friends, like people that live in other countries, even um, I'm talking to um, a couple friends out of the country more now than ever. 
uh, because it's yeah. facilitated by this routine that we're establishing of just knowing we communicate on Zoom. It's what we do. We're FaceTiming. We're on Duo if you have Android or whatever. So we're communicating with uh, uh, each other and maybe even seeing some people more than we ever have. Some people we love. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Do you have any morning routines or something or anything that start you off on the right foot each day? So I do like to wake up. Um, this is one of the things that my therapist um, because I'm going into this busy season of work, I'm kind of cutting back on my visits with her. So that's one of the things that I cut off. So she kind of helped me kind of set up a plan. So I make sure that I'm also taking care of myself. But then also my um, strength coach is like, um, check into your strengths because that'll help you to make sure that you're getting what you need and also taking care of yourself. So that's been um, really helpful to me. She was like, make a schedule because I'm also trying to get to bed at a reasonable and regular time. Yeah. Make a schedule. Um, set your time for your bath, maybe three times a week or two times, whatever a you bath? can do. She said just a bath. Can I just yes. tell you? Me time. How many years has it been since I took a bath? Oh, that sounds dirty. <laughs> but listen, I ain't got time. I would love to take a bath. So it was the bath. There's like a whole list of things that she's wrote down for me. Of course, making sure that I um, write down three things that I'm grateful for. Every day? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love Every that. Day. That's hard for me because I'm thinking too big. And she was like, no, make it smaller. Say you like drinking water today. So I'm like you drink hmm, a lot that's of water. A thing. Yeah. But yeah, mm -hmm. stuff like that. OK, cool. One thing that really impressed me about the story we're reading today is that even though they were spending over a year behind a bookshelf, they woke up at a certain time and they had their daily routines. There was structure to their life. Um, so like now, I mean, quarantine yeah. can feel like. If you are still quarantined and like for real, a lot of people are not. We are out here living our lives, wearing masks, not touching, staying six foot, uh, six feet away from each other. But our weekends, we're not out like we used to be. We're not seeing our friends like we used to be. Um, So it's been important, at least for me, to have that routine and to have that structure, which I never valued routine before as much as I do now. Me either. I'm with you. I never valued it before. Yeah, but it can keep you afloat but it's so during these. Right now. Yeah. During these inconsistent waters. Have you picked up any new skills? I know you were thinking of learning the flute. Well, you know, I was playing around with the flute. So that kind of comes and goes. <laughs> but what I've really been trying to do is learn how to take pictures so that I can put post pictures on my Instagram yeah. page that look nice. Yeah, it's really hard. But I, I'm going to take my goal. time with that before I, you know, move forward. But it's something that I'm working for, working towards. Um I'm really excited about it. I think it's pretty cool. I like to bake, so I want to take pictures of the things that I bake oh, cool. or cook. Yeah. Have you discovered anything new about yourself? Maybe something you didn't recognize about yourself before because you were too busy or distracted? I think I've discovered I'm not really into TV like that. <laughs> like <gasps> if I have a whole bunch of time, I'm not going to spend it watching TV. I don't really care about Seriously? TV. I would rather just watch my cat for an hour. Yeah. And I I mean, I don't know any shows that are really binge worthy right now. So maybe that's part of it. But I just don't need a TV. I don't think I need a TV. I literally thought I was going to be at home watching all kind of TV. Yeah, there's I can go to... weeks without turning on a TV. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal. You know what I did? I cut back on some stuff because of that. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Then yeah. you can like um, curate your influences to make sure everything you're taking in builds you up. I love that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, if there if things do return to normal, sorry, if if that ever happens, which habits will you keep from quarantine? I'm going to say the most important habit is the scheduling, keeping that schedule, keeping a routine. Yeah. 
I think that's going to be that's going to benefit me the most having a routine. I've been cleaning my house every day and duh, instead of just spending five hours cleaning the baseboards once or twice or once a week or every other week, just do 30 minutes every day. <laughs> Say <laughs> that again. Every day. Duh. And not in yeah. the same room. Like I'll wake up, feed the cat, clean the bathroom, get ready and go. It's awesome. It's awesome. This weekend I was like, oh, I got to clean. Wait, everything is clean. <laughs> it's done. Now, I was out in the desert. I went to, uh, you know, take some, refresh myself, take some peace of mind, whatever, go hiking. Right. And you stayed in my house, thankfully. So you might not agree, but I think it's really <laughs> clean. <laughs> that's because it was me and the cat. <laughs> So, yeah, that's what I'm going to do every day, making sure everything is in the spot it belongs in and just keeping things clean so I don't have to weigh myself down every week or every other week. Uh, <laughs> speaking of necessities, which items of clothing may you never wear again? Keep it decent. Clothes. <laughs> in general. <laughs> they're stupid. I bought, uh, clothes are dumb, especially Why? jeans. <laughs> jeans are real stupid. I bought two pairs of heels this month because I was sick of wearing house shoes to work. And I got to admit, it, it tapped, it made me tap into my, a piece of myself that I forgot. I want to wear heels. <laughs> I like them. <laughs> You're like, I know her. She yeah. loves heels. Um, pain for fashion. I'm with it. We all got to suffer a little to look fabulous. And I forget. So I like doing that again. Um, Wait, one thing. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I like been throwing out stuff like I'm never leaving the house again. It's really sad. I don't know what's going to happen when I have to leave the house again because I have literally only been in um, exercise clothes <laughs> like yeah. spandex. Yeah, yeah. Yoga pants. They'll get you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, that's our check in. It sounds like you're doing great uh, and you haven't <laughs> asked me how I'm doing. So you're doing so good. You don't care. <laughs> I do. I absolutely. I Too wanted late. to be in line with the questions. Right. Are you doing great? Mm -hmm. You're supposed Are to you toss right? that ball okay? back to me every time I toss it to you. Mm, you weren't interested. <laughs> That's fine. I'm lazy. Okay. But I do want to know. Please tell us the the readers want to know okay. what you've been doing. Mm -hmm. So disingenuous. Um. So I get up every day, like I said, feed my cat, or get up every day. Actually, no. Let me stop with the lies. I sit up every day. <laughs> Take a moment to read. <laughs> then I feed my cat, clean a little something and head out to work. You know, I got a collection of masks that are um, clean and ready for me that I just, you know, pick, choose to match my outfit for the day. Okay, okay. It. You got that little basket in your house. I, you the, I was like, look at her. Right. doing some things over here. So I do have to say, I really enjoy the people I work with, but only seeing them and not really seeing my friends. Um, it can be hard. It can feel like it's a big chunk of your life that you're detached from. That's how I feel. Um, so I'm making more of an effort to not be, um, to just be more positive. Yes, we're doing Zoom parties and those are getting us through, you know? Yeah, I'm yeah. sick of it, but oh, well, this is what we got. And I'm grateful that I can at least connect with my people uh, via video and, and chat, you know, whenever. So I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> you right. make it seem so that you know i do care i, I mean, really do what do kind you? of new things have you been taking on yeah, you right. know what uh, i nothing. mean you have responded mm -hmm. a little bit yeah so let's move on are you ready to get into um <laughs> Anne frank our author and a little background into her story yes okay let's. all right great let's take a break
look into Anne Frank and perhaps her inspiration for writing The Diary of a Young Girl? Sure. I um, decided to just kind of go with the forward of the book. It had a lot of great information, I think, contributes to the uh, context. So okay, cool. I'll start with that. All right. Anne Frank kept a diary from June 12th, 1942 to August 1st. 1944. Initially, she wrote it for herself. Then after hearing an announcement on a radio broadcast from London about collecting eyewitness accounts of suffering and decided that when the war was over, she would publish a book based on her diary. She began rewriting and editing her diary, improving the text, omitting passages she didn't think were interesting enough and adding others from memory. And at the same time, she kept her original diary. So Anne's first unedited diary is referred to as version A to distinguish it from her second edited diary, which is known as version B. And how old was she when she decided to edit her words for posterity, basically? I believe this was in 1944 when that announcement went out. So um, uh, so she would have been 15 at the time. Wow. Okay, it's amazing. Yeah. So. After eight people in hiding in the secret annex were arrested, Mep, Geese, and Bep Voxko, the two secretaries working in the building, they found Anne's diary strewn all over the floor. Mep tucked them away, these um, diary pages that were strewn all over the floor, in a desk drawer for safekeeping. And then after the war, when it was clear Anne uh, had died, she gave the diary unread to Anne's father, Otto Frank. And after long deliberation, Mr. Frank decided to fulfill his daughter's wish and publish her diary. Now, he selected material from both versions A and B, and he edited them um, into a short version. Um, So that version, again, the edited version from her dad is version C, and that's known to the world as the diary of of a young girl. And that is the version that I would have read when I was in school. Okay. And actually, it's the version I would have read as an adult when I reread the book. So um, when making the decision to edit, Mr. Frank kept several points in mind. One, the book needed to be kept short to fit in with a series put out by the publisher. And then two, in 1947, it wasn't customary to write openly about sex. So he admitted all references to sex and sexuality. Three, out of respect for the dead, he omitted unflattering passages about his wife and the other residents of the secret annex. When Otto, when um, Mr. Frank died in 1980, he willed his daughter's manuscript to the Netherlands State Institute for War Documentation in Amsterdam. And I guess the authenticity, authenticity of the diary had been challenged from the first publication. I didn't know about that. No, me so neither. it went through a thorough investigation. They wanted to see if it was really Anne's work. And so once it was proved beyond a shadow of a doubt to be genuine, it was published in its entirety, along with the results of an exhaustive study. I wonder what made them question the authenticity, because it's very much the story from a young girl's perspective and the parts on sexuality and unflattering words he wrote. She wrote about her mother. He still left. a. It feels like a chunk of that in. No, but it feels honest. Honestly, the original C version that he produced it didn't have this book is different than the book that I read let me listen because you okay go ahead teach the class (laughs) I'm gonna be frozen and I'll I'll get back to that we'll pick that up again a little later but yeah it's different there there's a new edition which is the the edition that I read 
this week. Um, that is the definitive edition, and that was published, and it contains 30% more material intended to give the reader more insight into the world of Anne Frank. That's like 500 pages, And then right? in 19... Yeah, so remember I sent you that yeah. message like, how many pages is this book? So that's okay. the one you read? So in ni- I did read the definitive version, but it wasn't actually 800 pages. Oh, I, but I it was like it was 500 pages. I saw it. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like 500 or something, right? 479 on my um yeah. tablet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Obviously, uh, I see. didn't read that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I don't anyway. think so. Mine was like 300 pages. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, in 1998, the existence of five previously unknown pages came to light. So they added additional edits to the book. And so that's the context for a diary of a young girl. I love it. Thank the- you. Well, actually, did you know that there was a graphic novel called Anne Frank's Diary? It's it's a reimagined story. I think I have heard of that, actually. Yeah. Have you seen it? I saw the cover. It was actually in the back of um, the uh It's promoted on the back of your book. Mm-hmm. I would yep. like to look into it. I've never seen it, but I know I've heard about it. So, yeah. Well, that's so interesting. That's Thank you for telling us that story. Now, can you give us a no spoiler synopsis of Diary of a Young Girl? Anne Frank was 13 years old when her family went into hiding because of persecutions against the Jewish people. Anne would spend the next two years in the secret annex located in her father's office building. She writes about her experience, her experiences as a loquacious, headstrong and optimistic girl forced to share restrictive quarters with her family and four others. Kari, what were your first thoughts? Um, I thought, yeah, why haven't I ever read this? I can't remember ever reading it. So when you picked it and added to your list, I felt like about time. Um, and really? Then, yeah. And it didn't seem that long. Um, I think my copy is a little over 300 pages. So I was excited to read it, to delve into this historical uh, nonfiction. Uh, what about you? What were your first thoughts of The Diary of a Young Girl? So a couple of things, as I mentioned um, a little earlier, I think I read that original version, that C version that her father put out and it was a hundred and some odd pages. That's oh, how short it was. Okay. Like literally. So when I got when I finally took a look at the book that I had, I'm like, wait, wait, Kari, how many pages is your book? So I like over underestimated the time that I had to uh, commit to this book because it was longer. I hadn't realized all that other information. So um, I was kind of stuck in a little behind in my um, planning and scheduling for the week. So I had lots more pages, of course, that I didn't plan for. But this the shorter version, that C version is what I read in elementary school yeah middle elementary middle school i had a jewish teacher i thought this was required reading but i had a jewish teacher and she made she sure had, you guys read she it. made us read it mm-hmm. i love that and so i've always been um i've always enjoyed reading her story i, I thought it was um really interesting and worth worth returning to yeah. thus i did in my um late 20s i love that okay well now can you give us a spoiler filled synopsis a deep dive into the diary of a young girl by Anne Frank? Take it away. Okay. Again, just believe me, I was a little behind, so I'm going to do the best I can, y'all. <laughs> okay. So Anne received her diary for her 13th birthday. She wanted a diary because she said she doesn't have friends, even though she had about 30 people. She calls friends and she had an adoring family. What she wanted was a true friend. She wanted to be closer to her friends, she said. Um, like she said a that confidant. when she, I'm sorry? Like a confidant. Yeah. Yeah. She said when she'd have conversations with her friends, they were superficial and she would kind of 
beat herself up for not um, going further in the conversation. But she said that's all, you know, that's all she could do at the time. So um, that can be a struggle. She as wanted an adult. to, yeah, she wanted to have deeper conversations. So she got this diary. This diary was going to be her friend. So she named the diary Kitty. And I think for me, um, this is where I got my interest in to diaries. I, I know if you recall, I do. I think I said this book. Yeah. And another book. But this especially because she always wrote to Kitty mm-hmm. in her books. And, and gave so her I was a little like, imaginary a friend of personality. That I could. Yes. Yes. I want to write to Kitty. I want to name a diary and uh, all of that stuff that <laughs> I never you. could accomplish. So, and you know. made me think twice, like, wait, this is an imaginary friend, right? Because she'd be like, remember how you asked me about this? Well, let me yeah. tell you the answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So anyway, the family immigrated to Holland in 1933 when her father became managing director of the Dutch Optic. Catch that? Okay, that's what it is. Yeah, (laughs) sure. The war started in 1939. After May um, 1940, when the Germans arrived in Holland, the good times were few and far between. Freedoms were severely restricted by anti-Jewish decrees. So I'm going to name those. They were required to wear a yellow star. They had to turn in their bicycles. They were forbidden to use streetcars, forbidden to ride in cars, even if they owned one. Required to complete shopping between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Frequent only Jewish-owned barbershops and beauty parlors. They were forbidden to be on the street between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. Forbidden to go to any form of entertainment like movies or the theaters, forbidden to use swimming pools, tennis courts, hockey fields, or any other athletic field, forbidden to go rowing or take part in any athletic activity in public, forbidden to sit in their gardens or those of their friends after 8 p.m., forbidden to visit Christians in their homes and required to attend Jewish schools. So there was a laundry list of restrictions upon them, but life went on. And uh, talks about her math teacher. She said he gave her assignment for talking too much. So (laughs) she came up with a convincing argument to prove the necessity of talking. She said talking is a female trait and she'd do her best, but she'd never be able to break the habit because her mother talked as much as she did, if not more. And there's not much you can do about inherited traits. I get along pretty well with all my teachers. There are nine of them, seven men and two women. Mr. Keesing, the old fogey who teaches math, was mad at me for the longest time because I talk so much. After several warnings, he assigned me extra homework, an essay on the subject, a chatterbox. A chatterbox. What can you write about that? I'd worry about that later, I decided. I jotted down the assignment in my notebook, tucked it in my bag, and tried to keep quiet. That evening, after I'd finished the rest of my homework, the note about the essay caught my eye. I began thinking about the subject while chewing the tip of my fountain pen. Anyone could ramble on and leave big spaces between the words, but the trick was to come up with convincing arguments to prove the necessity of talking. I thought and thought, and suddenly I had an idea. I wrote the three pages Mr. Keesing had assigned me and was satisfied. I argued that talking is a female trait and that I would do my best to keep it under control, but that I would never be able to break myself of the habit since my mother talked as much as I did, if not more, and that there's not much you can do about inherited traits. Mr. Keesing had a good laugh at my arguments, but when I proceeded to talk my way through the next class, he assigned me a second essay. This time, it was supposed to be on an incorrigible chatterbox. 
I handed it in and Mr. Keesing had nothing to complain about for two whole classes. However, during the third class, he'd finally had enough. And Frank, as punishment for talking in class, write an essay entitled Quack, 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 said Mistress Chatterback. The class roared. I had to laugh too, though I nearly exhausted my ingenuity on the topic of chatterboxes. It was time to come up with something else, something original. My friend Sane, who's good at poetry, offered to help me write the essay from beginning to end in verse. I jumped for joy. Keesing was trying to play a joke on me with this ridiculous subject, but I'd make sure the joke was on him. I finished my poem and it was beautiful. It was about a mother duck and a father swan with three baby ducklings who were bitten to death by the father because they quacked too much. Luckily, Keesing took the joke the right way. He read the poem to the class, adding his own comments and to several other classes as well. Since then, I'd been allowed to talk and haven't been assigned any extra homework. On the contrary, Keesing's always making jokes these days. Yours, Anne. Well, how old was she? Like 13? She was 13. Yeah. (laughs) She was so I thought that was cute. Yeah. So she, um, the teacher kind of laughed that off. And yeah, you know, a few days went by and then he's like, wait. You're still talking too much. Now I want you to write a essay on incorrigible chatterbox. So she produced another piece of work and the teacher had nothing to cl- complain about for two whole classes. He found Finally. it hilarious. He was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think he made the assignment just so he could read more of her writing. Cause she was like challenge her. Writer. Right. Yeah. 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 I think so, too. (laughs) Finally, he was fed up with her talking. So he told her to write an essay entitled Quack, 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 said Mistress Chatterback. (laughs) So um, she wrote a poem. I think her friend contributed to it. I guess they was getting excited about these pieces of work, (laughs) these punishment pieces that she was producing. Right. Um, She wrote a poem about a mother duck and a father swan with three baby ducklings who were bitten to death by the father because they quacked too much. Well, the teacher took the joke. I mean, he took it all in stride. He shared it with the class. He shared it with other class and he didn't bother her again. (laughs) And so uh, after he left her alone, he seemed to talk more and she was allowed to just talk. Be herself. (laughs) And mentioned that when boys would try to befriend her, she'd find she'd be fine with that until they um, they start chatting about, well, maybe I could take you home or come to your house. And she'd be like you home. (laughs) <laughs> to her house to her house like he wanted to like meet their father you know yeah. those things yeah start dating and she was like ah, ah, ah. I'm only in it for the jokes <laughs> what she said she would fall off her bike yeah, <laughs> yeah just to distract yeah. him and then start so she talking about fall off her else. bike or something mm-hmm. and change the subject yeah hilarious but then there was this young boy named Halo Hilo and he was 16 years old but he liked Anne and his grandmother said Anne was too young for him to be seeing but they made plans to continue because Halo said listen I'm getting ready to cancel this class and then I can fit you in here and also you can get in here and here and we could keep seeing each other because you know I like you and Anne was like you know Halo is in love with me but I'm not really in love with him we just you know we're just out here can I tell you but she was like your favorite kind of chicken hand she was 13 these 16 year old boys was falling in love with her and she was like I think you need to listen to your grandma because you're getting kind of serious <laughs> she was. I was like man Anne. but this was um I'm gonna say again it's a different time and yeah. I don't know how their schooling worked I don't know were they in the same school and she was probably way smarter than him so intellectually she was like obviously a grown woman <laughs> 
obviously. So they were just friends. Um, her true love interest was Peter. Now, she didn't really say much about him, but she did say that's her love interest. She said she had told her mom that she wasn't really interested in Peter. She said she had, I don't think she used the word trick, but I'm going to use it. She tricked her mom into thinking that, you know, Peter wasn't for her, but really deep down the side, she knew she was going to marry Peter. That was the man for her. On July 5th, 1942, she writes that her father started talking about going into hiding. Father told her, she wanted to, she had a lot of questions going into hiding where, about what, why, da, da, da. And her father told her, just enjoy the freedoms that you have while you have them. And we'll take care of the rest. One day, Halo was visiting um, and then he left with expectations that he would return later. Then there was a knock at the door. And from this knock, we learn that Margot received a call up so that the family needed to go into hiding. So the call up meant that Margot needed to now be separated for, from her family. And I don't know if she would be put in a camp, but she would truly be separated because they wanted to educate the um, Margot was 16 years old. So they wanted to educate the, the teens differently so that they can be. And Margot was Anne's older sister. Yeah. Anne's older sister. So, so Margaret got caught up. Okay. This put the pressure on the family to go into their hiding space sooner than expected. So they started packing up and, and, she decided memories meant more than dresses. So she didn't pack a lot of clothes, but she definitely made sure she packed Kitty so she could be writing while she's away. Just brilliant. And this really um, struck me how, even though they were under all of these restraints, they did their best to live a normal life. And then in a second, everything changed mm-hmm. and they were in forced captivity. Yep. And from a little kid's perspective, her parents were doing a good job at keeping her life normal as much as possible. So this was a drastic change from one day to the next. Yeah. Huge. So they left with what they could, right? They didn't have a bunch of luggage that they would be carrying as they left because that was a bad look for a Jew to be caught walking around with luggage. So what they did was they layered up their clothes. Mm-hmm. They had there was another renter upstairs and um, in the upstairs apartment and they left him a note saying, give the cat to another neighbor. And they left the house as though um, they left in a hurry. And as they were walking along to the new destination, her parents decided to tell her the plan for actually for more than a year. They had been storing items to go into hiding. The hiding place is located at Ann's father's office building. There weren't a lot of people working in his office. There was a Mr. Kugler, a Mr. Kleiman, Mep, and a 23-year-old typist named Bet Volsko. All who were informed that the Franks were coming. Mr. Volsko, Bep's father, works in the warehouse along with two assistants, but they weren't told anything. So the new hiding place is a four-story building And on the second story of that building behind some storerooms is a secret annex. And it has rooms. It has a kitchen. Just, you know, space for them to live in. When they arrive at the new location, they got all these boxes and stuff there um, because they were preparing to live there. And so while Margot and the mom, they're like exhausted from all the um, stuff they had to do to get there. Anne and her father prepared the house for living, making it decent, you know? 
So on July 12th, 1942, Anne writes about the family and she says that they start to bicker. She feels like her mom is treating Margot better than she is and that her father is the only one who stands up for her. But he usually sides with mother and Margot. She doesn't seem to fit in, even though they think they all get along. And this is um, really early on that Anne is starting to feel out of place with the family. There's a new family that's expected to arrive, and that's on July 13th. That is the Van Dans. They have a son by the name of Peter, and he is a shy 15-year-old. Not to be confused with the love of her life. Not to be confused with him, because <laughs> she don't like Peter. Mm-mm. She got a few things to say about Peter early on. <laughs> After the Van Dans arrive, um, Mr. Van Dan kind of shares a story about um, their home, their apartment. The upstairs neighbor that they left a note for to give the cat to another neighbor, he called Mr. Van Dan and said, come over, come over. And he was really distraught. And he showed Mr. Van Dan a note about the Franks saying, hey, take the cat to somewhere else. And so he was really concerned. But what the Franks left behind, um, the house was a mess. It looked like they were leaving in a hurry. So he was concerned that there was going to be a raid on the house. So Mr. Van Dan And the upstairs neighbor decided to kind of clean up the house a little bit because they were afraid. Um, Miss, the neighbor was afraid. And so while doing this cleanup, they find a note with an address on it. And Mr. Van Dan tells Mr. Goldsmith, who is actually the upstairs neighbor, to burn it. But we know that Anne's mother left that note on purpose. It has an address. It's it's just to kind of um, uh, mislead people. Yeah, throw them off the scent. Yep, take them off scent. So. As we move along in August and September, Anne is really feeling like her mother is treating her like a baby. Uh, Anne is at odds with the Van Dan family, the, the son, the mom, the dad. They all seem to be at her. And it's like a fight. But Anne sees Peter as a spoiled brat that's uh, hypersensitive and lazy and a hypochondriac. And it's just a lot of yeah, everything stuff about him on. is like wrong. So he's a teenage boy with no one else to relate to him in this uh, living environment. And Anne is in the same shoes in a way because she doesn't relate to anyone in her family. Um, But she is doing her best from her description to accommodate everyone. Whereas Peter is like pooping up the bathroom. He's like sleeping in, you know, eating. You know, he's just he's he's not doing his part. Yeah. Yep. So (laughs) then. Anne's mom and Mrs. Van Dan get into it. Listen. But it sounded like Miss Van Dan was flirting with um Anne's father. Well, that's separate. Before they got into that part, she was like, there's this communal closet that they have. And Mrs. Van Dan removed all of her stuff, <laughs> yeah. but three linen sheets saying, oh, we'll just use Mrs. Frank's stuff for everything. But then she was mad because everybody was using her china. And then Anne broke one of her dishes. So she was a little mad about that. And I mean, so it was all kind of stuff going on. So they was they mad about each other petty. for that. Yeah, yeah it did. The other family was like, well, our stuff is nice. So we'll just use y'all stuff <laughs> till we can get out of here. And then they was like, well, you're not going to use our stuff either, especially the moms. They were going back and forth. Yeah, hiding, and then hiding linens, just being petty. Dishes and boxes hidden. Yeah. You ain't exactly. gonna never learn what my stuff is. Right. <laughs> and we all in isolation. All of us. We mm-hmm. still we ain't going nowhere, y'all. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So one day uh, there was a book that the adults were whispering about in the house. Okay. And it was a book about women and it was in the annex and, and it was only for adults. But Peter, Peter just nosy. He snuck the book and started reading it. Now, Mrs. Van Dan knew that Peter had this book, but she didn't say nothing. But when Mr. Van Dan found out about it, Peter having this book, he threw a fit took the book away and without considering Peter's curiosity. So I guess he ain't put it away properly again because <laughs> Peter stole that book again. And he was caught red handed. His father caught him with the book. And Ann said there was a slap, a whack, a tug of war, and Peter was sent to the loft. And that was um, Peter's spot. So um, Peter made this scene. He was even making loud noises and stuff. He didn't want to apologize for his behavior. Peter was a spoiled little brat. He was misbehaving. So the thing is, I feel for Peter, but those loud noises could have gotten all of them caught and he yep. didn't care. So he was acting out without any type of reflection on the consequences. They nope. are literally hiding in um, Ann's dad's building. Like that's the first place I, w- I would look if I was authorities. So mm. they have to be really, really quiet um, certain times a day. And you never want to draw attention to yourself from the street. So he right. was really jeopardizing everybody's life. Selfishly. Yeah, but he was a yeah. teenager. And he was also upset, a teenager. So. Uh huh. And so, um, Pem is the pet name for Anne's father. Okay, let me just share that. So, there's a discussion about Anne, and the family said she was an ignoramus. Okay, they just said she ignorant and stuff. Okay, and you she don't like know agreed. nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it seemed like in an honest way, like she's not being put through school. What's going on with her? Yeah. Yeah. So they also said she needed to be more intellectually developed in order to read the books that Margot reads. So she there was books they were keeping from her uh, and Anne was a reader. So she enjoyed reading books. And, you know, she like us. She wanted mm-hmm. a podcast and whatnot. <laughs> and, and Mrs. Van Dan one day tells Anne, can I read your diary? What the what? Who does that? was so audacious. It is. This woman is always ridiculing Anne. So I don't know if this is her way of getting close to the girl, but it just showed how out of touch she was. This is the only thing this little girl has to herself. And yeah. why you want to read her diary of all things? Why? Ugh. Why? Crazy. Yeah. You hear me? <laughs> Crazy. So Anne feels like her mother doesn't understand and her. Said, no, we should make it clear. Anne was like, no, Anne had just gotten through writing something mean about the woman. So she really <laughs> didn't want her to read it. Right. So when she walked in the room, she was like, hey, can I read your book? She was like, well, uh, why? No. Uh-huh. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> okay so Anne feels like her mother doesn't understand her her daddy's always her her father is always nice to her and he'll come to her defense but she's just out there and she's Something's being missing, picked yeah. on by everybody in the house she feels like her and Margot don't get along she just feels like her mother and Margot's personality are just so foreign to her and then people say that Anne has these saucy replies and Mrs. Van Dam would say, if she were my daughter. Mm-hmm. So the idea was that um, the Franks were raising their daughters in this modern way. Right. And it was um, just not something that they were used to. So she had too many freedoms and or, and freedom of speech that she just wouldn't allow. Mrs. Van Dam was like, hmm, mm-hmm. too much. 
So Anne seemed like she was the subject of this, of every discussion or quarrel. Everything about her, her behavior, her personality, her manners, every inch of her from head to toe was being dissected and talked about. Harsh words were being used and constantly hurled at her. And she was just supposed to grin and bear it. And Anne, she was like, I'm not taking this lying down. And said, you know what? I'm going to show them. I wasn't born yesterday. But Anne <laughs> asked herself, she's like... Am I really as bad-mannered, headstrong, stubborn, pushy, and lazy as the Van Dans say I am? Nope, of course I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I was reading that like, wow, what great self-reflection. Immediately she's like, no, they're wrong, period. (laughs) And then I thought, well, you know what? Somebody got to be on your team. It might as well be you. (laughs) Right? You got to be team me if nothing else, right? (laughs) Okay, so Anne recognizes she does have faults and shortcomings, but these people are blowing them out of proportion and they are really scolding and mocking her and she don't like it. They talked a little bit about the bathing situation, how they could go to different areas of the house and have the bathing. And then they said that Peter would go into the room where you, everybody could see you. <laughs> and he would be like, hey, don't look over here for 10 minutes. <laughs> what? Go He's somewhere like, private. Uh, okay, Peter. All right, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> That's really crazy. And anyway, um, one time a plumber came and um, they were unable to use the bathroom. So they had to use uh, these chamber pots. And that was a whole mess. Chamber pots and canning jars, to be clear. Oh, yeah. So in October of 42, Mrs. Van Dan, uh this is when um, Ann is starting to feel some type of way about her, is flirting with Pim. Again, Pim is Ann's... um, father and Anne does not like this she's like she would touch his cheek and then hike up her skirt and and then make so-called witty remarks to get his attention but she said Pim doesn't really find her doesn't find her pretty or charming so he ignores her Anne thinks she's like a jealous type because uh, mom doesn't act like that towards uh, Mr. Van Dam Mm, this is a lot in some confined space yeah it is how you flirting with a whole another lady's house uh, and y'all in the next room yeah. Or downstairs from each other, whatever. It's too much. Anyway, Peter and Anne, while they don't really care for each other, they start having some fun together and they dress up in people's clothes and then kind of entertain the family. And this brings a little joy to the to the secret annex. Um, they also have an opportunity to get some education. Books are being brought in for them. Um, they're taking a shorthand course. Um, Bet even brought in a, a kit for them. A shorthand kit for them, so they and can. And who is all that? That's shorthand. an employee of the shop downstairs. Yes, an employee yeah. of the shop. Mm-hmm. So the the drama with Anne and her parents are still going on, and everybody in the house. And so one day, Mom tells Dad all of Anne's sins, and then starts to cry. Anne cries too, and Anne told her father that she loved him more than she loved her mother, and that her father said, "Look, honey, this is just a passing phase." Anne said, I can't stand my mother. And I think I'm pretty sure about that. I have to force myself not to snap on her. And I actually would rather slap her across the face than talk to her. Okay. And then Too much, like, <laughs> try volunteering to help your mother. If she's not feeling well. If she has a headache, she's like, I don't want to. That's just not something I want to do. Also, I don't love her. So no, I don't want to. And in oh, fact, so I can imagine my mom's death, but I can't imagine yours, daddy. Wow. Anne went there. She was like, saying some really hurtful things. Yes. Yeah. And so 
after this, Anne kind of mentions that she's excited to get her period. She feels like when she gets that period, then she'll be really grown. And um, I think she was born grown. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then her father, during the same time, actually threatens to take her diary away. And so she's like, I need to hide this. So she starts hiding her diary. We learn a, um, a little bit about what's going on on the outside. Many of their Jewish friends are being treated roughly and taken away in cattle cars to um, Festerbork. And the people get almost nothing to eat and even less to drink. And the assumption is that most of them are being murdered. They also learn about hostages. Um, it's the Gestapo's way of punishing saboteurs. If they can't find the saboteurs, they grab five hostages or five people, line them up against the wall and announce in the paper um, that their deaths were referred. In the paper, they announced that um, their deaths were fatal accidents. By the middle of October 42, Margot, mother and Anne are best of buddies. What happened? Anyway, <laughs> come back to her diary and be like I can't believe I wrote this kitty <laughs> and then the next um, entry will be like I hate my mama <laughs> yeah Margo and Anne even share their diaries you know she said you can read this section right here only right this part right here that's what she said let her sister read her diary and she asked her sister if from she was January ugly. to 21st right <laughs> 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 she asked her sister if she was ugly and her sister's like well you cute and you got nice eyes and it's like that's vague what i mean that's all you could say <laughs> um then they had a scare okay so the office staff didn't notify them that someone was coming to fill the extinguishers the fire extinguishers so as a result they weren't quiet until they heard the sound of hammering across the bookcase now this bookcase blocked their entrance so they don't expect people to be messing with that right because it's a bit of out of the way and and Pim were stationed at the door so they could hear when this man whoever he is left some 15 minutes later it sounded as if he laid the tools on the bookshelf and then start banging on the door he was knocking pulling pushing jerking on the door and Anne was so scared she nearly fainted thinking that her days were numbered and then finally they heard mm. Mr. Kleiman saying open up it's me they opened the door right away and learned that the hook fastening the bookcase got stuck which is why no one was able to warn them about the carpenter give me the lowdown on the Clement uh, relationship with the father that was like his business partner yeah they were in the office together Okay. And then, um, so after they left, and Mr. Kleiman came to get back, but um, couldn't open the, the bookcase. And then that's why they couldn't pass the information on. Mm-hmm. But that was a scare. It was very frightening. So, Anne is getting her period soon. She knows it. She's got all the <laughs> signs. And so at this point, I'm like, yeah, and all of this that you're doing with the hatred and the emotions wearing, that's all. Yeah, that's hormonal. That's all hormonal, honey. <laughs> so she has a note um, on January 22nd, 44, and says she won't be able to write about, she wouldn't be able to write about that kind of thing anymore. She's surprised by her childish innocence <laughs> and knowing she could never be that innocent again. She also understands the mood changes and comments about Margot, mother and father, and she's embarrassed for what she wrote. See, she's very insightful, your child. Because <laughs> she has a cycle now, so she's mm -hmm. an adult and she can't be fooling with them foolish child thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yes. And in fact, her and mom are getting along better. They were never closer. <laughs> okay. 
Mm-hmm. And then father, she's saying that her father is not a, as open as she would like him to be. She feels like she doesn't know anything about her mother. While they're close, she doesn't know anything about her family. Um, but he's still a sweetheart. And Margot's a stinker and a constant <laughs> sort of irritation morning, noon and night. <laughs> Peter has a little birthday party. So they having all the celebrations. They got space to do this. Right. So they're not in a tiny space. They're just restricted in the, to this confined to this space. Yeah. So they have a party for Peter. He gets a game of Monopoly, a razor and a cigarette lighter. Why? Because <laughs> it's what they could give him. It's out of what they had. OK. All right, then. Mm hmm. <laughs> Uh, they talk a little bit about what's going on on the outside, about um, the English landing in Algiers and Casablanca and um, some fighting beginning. And then people feeling like that's the beginning of the end. We're, we're making progress in this war. And Churchill Hill said, nope, actually, that's not the case. Um, this is the end, beginning, end part. Something like that. No, this isn't the end. This is the beginning of the end. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a process. Yeah, that's what he was saying. Get your hopes so, up, but also get them down. Yeah. <laughs> so they start talking about bringing in an eighth person. All right. So they're like, let's run through this list. We got space. We could take somebody else in. Let's I do it. I loved that about them. They were yeah. restricted. They weren't getting along all the time. But they were like, if we can save someone else, we have the room. And they've yep. been thinking about it for a while. Like, we want someone else in here with yeah. our crazy selves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. We want to drive someone else crazy if it'll save their life. If it'll save their life, that's what yeah. matters. Yes. They'll be living yes. and crazy. Yep. <laughs> so they immediately rule out anybody from the Van Damme family. Okay, let's just cut this <laughs> to chase. No, you can't you bring none your of your generational people. Generational lineage here. <laughs> <laughs> no more. Your people can come. Okay. Mm -mm. And then they agree on a Mr. Dussel, and he's mm -hmm. a dentist. So they like, okay, Mr. Dussel, you somebody reaches out to Mr. Dussel and says, okay, you could come. All right. Mr. Dussel is like, listen, I got things to do. I want to close out some things. I want to, you know, fix some books, cover a few more appointments before I get there. They're like, do you understand no what's going on here? No sense of urgency. None. None. None mm -mm. He, he's like, I, listen, this is this is what I need. OK, I'm in, I got to take care of my business. They're like, listen, all that business you're taking care of, you letting too many people know what's happening. Yeah, for sure. And so he's he listen, Mr. Dussel did what he wanted to do. And he arrived as as planned. Um, no leaks at the time, but he was surprised. Mr. Dussel was uh, impressed by the plan and how um, covert it was in that. Um, well, he was devastated at first because he was like, but the officer from higher, higher up got y'all out of the country and they was just laughing like y'all still believe that lie <laughs> that's hilarious no we've been here forever <laughs> forever ever okay yeah. forever ever he anyway. was just in shock yeah so then um he's again he's like hey wow this is well hidden i i didn't know all this was going on you just right upstairs from me and you got a whole living space and all that wonderful stuff so they're like okay that's great you hear and all but um let me just here give you these rules about things you can and can't do all right sir so they give him this list of rules you know your rest hours need to be from 10 p.m to 7 30 a.m and 10 15 a.m on Sundays, okay? Because we need to be quiet. Free time, none. You don't get any free time outside until further notice. Use of language, 
It's necessary to speak softly at all times. Only the language of civilized people may be spoken. Thus, no German. Reading and relaxation. No German books may be read except for the classics, works of a scholarly nature. Other books are optional. They encourage calisthenics daily, singing only softly, and after 6 p.m. They have classes. Um, they have a breakfast, a feeding, or excuse me, a mealtime schedule. Breakfast is at 9 a.m., except on holidays and Sundays when it's at 11.30 a.m. A lunch is a light meal from 115 to 145. Dinner may or may not be a hot meal, and it depends on the news broadcast. They talked about baths. The watch tub is available to all residents after 9 a.m. on Sundays. Residents may bathe in the bathroom, kitchen, private office, or front office as they choose. And you can only have alcohol in the um, place for medicinal purposes only. Now, that's just a few of the rules, but they have yeah. rules to live by. And they had no bathtub, right? Right, no bathtub. Yeah. Or is it no running water? But they had, yeah, because Peter was in a tub, right? He was washing it. In my mind, it was like a bucket. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Mr. Dussel, when uh, he arrives, he has a lot of questions. You know, he's he's amazed by the setup. Okay, so he's got a lot of questions. But then he answered a lot of questions. And he also gave an update on the things that were happening outside since they've been in hiding. He said night after night, vehicles cruise the streets, taking the juice away. They have lists and they knock on the doors where they know it's going to be a huge, a, a large haul. They also offer a bounty per head. He likens it um, and Anne in her writing likens it to slave hunts in the olden days. Anne can see these events after the dark um, because they have a window and she can see the people. You know, if you just peek out the window after dark yeah, down on the street. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. She said they see long lines of good, innocent people accompanied by crying children. No one is spared. All are marched to their death. Some of the stories that um, Mr. Dussel tells are so gruesome and dreadful, they can't get them out of their heads and the gloominess lingers. But they have to realize that they cannot spend the whole day crying about these events because it doesn't help. Anne is starting to feel deserted. Um, her father is not able to replace the world that she lost behind. So those friends that she had, um, he's not enough for her. Uh, Mother and Margot, they don't even count in her mind. And so they're not on the best terms anymore again. Mm -hmm. And she also feels ungrateful. There is a period in 42 where they go without light for 14 days. And at this time, um, Anne learns that Mr. Dussel is a tattletale. He's an old fashioned disciplinarian and he's a preacher of unbearably long sermons on manners. So they're actually sharing a room and he is getting on her last nerve. Yeah. Um, they learn that Mr. Van Dan is also in the meat business. And because of that, he makes some sausage and this is like, ooh, sausage night. Yum. <laughs> so they watched him do this work and dry the sausages out. And it's just fun. It's a, a good time for all. It's something for them to enjoy. Um, Mr. Dussel, as I mentioned, is a dentist. So he works. Um, he actually takes on the work of doing Mrs. Van Dan's teeth. He also does um, some of the other family members when teeth when they have issues as well. Yeah. Do they have any type of like a numbing agents? <laughs> I know. I think she <laughs> that was just is so up. gruesome. Yes. He is in there pulling out teeth when necessary. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Yikes. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing. Listen, um, Anne is tormented by Mr. Uh, 
Dusso. He is like shushing her and then waking up at the crack of the dawn, exercising, turning on lights. He is really cutting up and she want him out of her space. Mm-hmm. They actually get a task that they can do to kind of keep them busy. Um, it serves as a new pastime where they're actually filling packages with powdered gravy for Mr. Kugler. They're learning a little bit more. People are being dragged from their homes and told that they can take a knapsack and a little cash, but they're being robbed of their possessions on the way to wherever it is they're going. Mm. Children are coming home from school to find that their parents have disappeared. Um, Women return from shopping to find that their houses are sealed and their family is gone. Christians and Christians in Holland are Lisbon in fear because their sons are being sent to Germany. Everyone is scared. Everyone. And and while the allies seem... um, seem to be at work it just doesn't seem like this war is coming to the end and nationals are um living off of rations from the government right so there are long lines for necessities yep long lines for necessities and they're getting their stuff underground but they're um really stocking up well Anne is back to feeling frustrated um again and she's really suffering with this Anne sees margo and peter as quiet and boring people and Compared to them, she sticks out like a sore thumb because she likes to talk and she just, I'm going to say she's just enjoying her life in the confines that she can. And just she's Mm -hmm. just feeling the pressure from all the people. She sees Margot as weak-willed and passive and easily swayed. And then she backs down under pressure, Um, whereas Anne aspires to have more spunk in her life. Oh, she mentioned that there was a, a letter from the church. And kind of trying to encourage people to stand up and take action. Anne was like, but it's really too late for the Jews. They're already being killed. Then they learn that the building is sold without informing Mr. Kugler or Mr. Kleiman. And so when the new owner arrives, Mr. Kleiman was there to show him around everything except the secret annex. He told him, um, oh, I left the key at home and he didn't push that any further. They're starting to hear like um, air raids and machine gun fire. And and these things are really frightening because it, it forces them to, what did she say? They laid down and they tried to be really still when these things were going on. Once One night, um, the Van Damme family was awakened by noises. So Peter went to the attic with a flashlight and he saw a slew of large rats. Okay. So they sent the pet cat to the attic to sleep and then they didn't see the rats anymore in the evening. But then one evening it was still light outside and Peter went to the loft to get some old papers. And as he was climbing down the ladder, he was bit by a large rat. Can you imagine? He put his hand down on what he thought was like the ladder and it was a rat. He put his hand down on the rat and the rat took a big chunk in his arm. Mm. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. So then they got a message and they were really excited to hear that Turkey was in the war. But then the next day they learned it was fake news. Turkey was not in the war, but they were Mm -hmm. talking about giving up their um, neutrality. At this point, there was even um, um, notes being declared invalid. Like their note was a thousand dollar gilder, I believe it was called. And it was invalid, which was a problem for anybody in hiding, because now you have to explain why do you have this um, large bill if somebody's going to use it to buy any of their um, needs? Mr. Dussel, um, he is being difficult and he apparently doesn't mind. He was, wasn't obeying <laughs> the rules and he was writing letters to people and Margo was editing the letters. And then father was like, listen, man, you, you can't keep up that practice. You're going to expose us and this is dangerous. And they um, Anne felt like she didn't think uh, Mr. Dussel would obey for very long. He's not good at following directions. So they have another scare 
they hear um, um, Peter whispers in Pim's ear and Anne actually overhears the whisper. So he must be a loud whisperer. That's the only thing I can think. <laughs> anyway, he says a barrel is falling over in the warehouse and someone is fiddling with the door. So, OK, immediately they're afraid. They think someone is breaking in. So they all go to Mr. Van D's room, who's actually sick, and they discuss their suspicions. And then they um, they think maybe the burglars might have heard their footsteps in the building and ran out. Now, this burglary attempt happens a couple of more t- a couple more times. Um, and so they're really on edge because because crime is rampant. Yeah. So um, this is seen from the street like an opportunity at night. You know, when the shop is closed, maybe someone can bust in and grab what they can. So there are a few break-ins that really scare the family. So um, one day they hear a speech on the on the radio and it says that all Jews need to be out of Germany uh, or German-occupied territories by July 1st. And they mentioned provinces that are being cleansed of Jews. So again, they're still hearing about the bad news because they, they do have a radio um, and this, they're listening to an English station. So that's where they get all of their um, updates, you know, about the stuff that's going on. Uh, um, not locally, but, you know, mm-hmm. as it relates to the war. Another block of bad news, Mr. Kleiman, again, a business partner of the father is sick and he'll be away in bed for three weeks. Um, Beth has the flu. Mr. Vasco has to go to the hospital for emergency surgery. And there's an important meeting and meeting details that were discussed with Mr. Kleiman. So Mr. Kugler um, didn't have time for the briefing. So they're concerned about how everything will go. And Pim was the only one to have the information. And so they literally listened, put, lay down on the floor and listen to the meeting. And I think the meeting is like three hours. Um, Pim at one point gets, um, is unable to listen. He's hurting from laying on the floor, listening to this meeting. And then Margot and Anne are listening to the meeting. And while listening, Anne actually falls asleep. But <laughs> With all the information that they learned, they're able to formulate something and, and learn that the meeting is a, a success. One night, uh, Anne was waiting for her father to come and listen to her prayers and tuck her in, but her father wasn't ready. So her mom came. And so her mother offered to listen and Anne was like, nope, I'm good. Thanks. Bye. So when her mom um, got up and walked toward the door, she said, I don't want to be angry with you. I can't make you love me. And the tears slid down she her was cheeks. Crying. But yeah. Anne was like... Sorry, I mean, lady. Yeah. I mean, I know <laughs> this. You know, I don't like you. Yeah. I know this yeah. feels like rejection to you, but, you know, actually it's what I've been feeling. Rejected. So mm-hmm. kind of deal with it. And mm-hmm. feels like her mom um, feeling rejected and her tactless comments and her cruel jokes, all that stuff that you um, did to me um, that and I don't think it's funny is insensitive. And it is a sign of um, the lack of love you have for me. Mm-hmm. And she said her mom cried half the night and didn't get any sleep. Father avoided looking at her, but she knew he was thinking of how thinking like, how dare you treat your mother this way? Mm-hmm. And while she's expected to apologize and was like, I said what I said. Yeah, that's it. She so, thought really deeply on things, too, like uh, some of the behavior she describes from her mother, even though we're only getting Anne's point of view. She just it made her feel so alone in the family. Yeah. So to not naturally display that love to her mother, she felt like this is chickens coming home to roost. You never instilled any love in me. And so I don't have any to give you. Sorry. Oh, yes. It was just like that. It's oh, just like that. Yeah. So uh, we learned that Mr. Vasco, who is actually helping out in some way, has advanced stage cancer and can no longer work. But he was a good source of help and support when it came to safety measures. 
and he kept them current of what went on in the warehouse. Uh, at one point, they requested all radios. I don't know who they were turning into, turning them into, but the large radios were called in, but they were given a tiny radio that they could still listen to. In July of 1943, Anne decides that she's going to work on her behavior. Um, she's learning that hypocrisy gets her a lot further. <laughs> yeah, so that Anne is also in this space with this um, Dr. Mr. Dussel, and he is, um, they're debating about the room space. That's too much for Anne. She's like, I'm sick of this man. I'm out of here. All right. So then they got a schedule for the nighttime routine, a schedule for the lunch routine. They got a schedule for everything. But this keeps them, again, productive as they're in this restricted area. At one point, they were getting their potatoes were going bad. They were getting diseased. And so one out of the two potatoes that they would have would be have to be thrown out. And they said they got rid of like a whole bag of potatoes because of that. Yeah. So um, the employees of the factory, the selected employees, like one or two, I think, right, are still giving them rations. Um, and of these, the bulk are potatoes. Most of the food that they're supposed to eat now severely cut their food quantities in, in like half. Right. But they stay positive. They made a game out of it. And every time they pick a potato, they guess which disease the potato had <laughs> <laughs> before they threw it away. <laughs> So yeah. they're really trying to be creative. Yeah, they really trying to make a, the best of a, a tough situation. They really, really did. I, I did see that through here. So listen, Italy surrenders <laughs> unconditionally. So this is like good news. They feel like we're making progress towards um, the end of the war. Feel, really feeling it. Um, they learn that Mr. Kleiman needs surgery and that he'll be in the hospital for four weeks. Um, that's bad news. They also learned that... Um, the Van Dans have run out of money. They lost hundreds of a um, hundred guilder in the warehouse. So the workers are wondering how the hundred dollar guilder could wind up in the warehouse on a Monday morning. So there's suspicion going around. So now they think what's going on here. Is there something that we need to rat somebody out about? Yeah. So they, they like literally lose money. Yeah. It's not like they lost some money in the stock market. No, these people actually lost paper money. Yeah. Mm hmm. And alerted everyone to the fact that there were people hiding in the factory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Van, Mr. Dussel doesn't like Miss Van Dan because I think initially she was being flirtatious with him, too. But now he's like, um, she's an old bat. She's an old hag. And then Mrs. Van Dan is like, Mr. Dussel is an old maid. <laughs> Touchy neurotic spinster. They was really, mm-hmm. I don't know. These people was living a rough life. I mean, they just they were under fights. a lot of stress. Yeah, they were under a lot of stress. And some of them may have been petty people to begin with. So all of that intensified the anxiety in the space. Mm-hmm. And so um, Beth, who is the secretary in the office, and she gives them a lot of support. She gives them food. She's one that's making sure they have what they need. Well, she can't, she's, her household has an outbreak of diphtheria and she can't come in contact with them for like six weeks. And right. so this is like a lot. Mr. Kleiman is still in bed and Mr. Kluger is like the only one in the house. Then they turn around and somebody has a bad case of the flu, um, problems after another. In a journal entry for December 24th, uh, 1943, Anne writes, paper is more patient than people. So that's why she likes to write in her book because he's going to listen to people. They're not putting up with her. 
So now, uh, January 1944, Anne is paging through her diary and is shocked by how strongly she writes on the subject of her mother and her family. And she admits that she was suffering from moods that kept her head underwater and allowed her to see things only from her own perspective without calmly considering what the others had said. She further admits that her mother didn't understand her, but she didn't understand her mother either. The period was um, it was a tearfully a tearful period of passing judgment on her mother. And she felt like, okay, I'm gonna let that period go. She said, I've grown wiser and mother's nerves are a bit studier. So we should be able to get along better. So she looks forward to this period. Peter Schiff, she talks about him briefly. Peter Schiff is the boy we mentioned at the beginning um, that she said she was going to marry, but she told her mother, you know, she kind of tricked her mother into believing that she wasn't interested in him. Well, thinking about Peter Schiff leads us to think about Peter Van Dam. Listen, Peter Van Dam and her, Van Dan, they become friends. They're like friends, friends. <laughs> they start um, chit-chatting together and, and having, she goes up there and does homework with him, essentially, right? Her study and with him and they become friends. So much so that Anne starts to fall in love with Peter. I mean, and it should be noticed that he's also teaching her anatomy in a very matter-of-fact way. Very. Uh, like answering questions that adults should have been answering for her. Um, but he like he's showing her um, the parts of the cat and, and he's doing it in a very like biology teacher type of way. Like it's nothing, um, you know, passionate about this. These scenes, uh, we can only guess that they're told truthfully, uh, but it sounds like he becomes to her a bit of a father, a bit of a big brother, and then eventually like a boyfriend who she recognizes she's just using to pass the time. So they start sneaking kisses and stuff. (laughs) And it seems like he's really in love with her. And she's like, oh, not this again. (laughs) Can't you see? We're just, you know, both products of our environment. Really? Like she's like, really? And then Margot starts to feel lonely because Anne and Peter are hanging out all the time. And Margot, we don't, I mean, we know how Anne feels about Margot, but Margot might feel just as lonely as Anne does. Um, but we're not in Margot's head. So, uh, yeah, there's like this love triangle where Anne feels like I can't betray my sister who I like sometimes just for Peter, who I'm using for affection because I'm stuck in an attic. Anne is very matter of fact. I must say she seems to have some self-awareness. I, I think um, she has plenty of self-awareness. Yeah. <laughs> um, she, at yeah. one point she said um, Peter satisfied her need for longing. So uh, it, she got something from Peter and it really helped her. It, it turned her mood around essentially in this yeah. environment that she was in. He was like an outlet for these feelings she, she was developing. And she may have to recognize that any day, of course she recognized any day could be her last. So she, she had this earnest desire to live every day to the full, knowing she's going to run out of time at some unexpected date. Peter even went to her father and was like, hey, we're more than friends, just so you know. And the dad was like, nah, (laughs) he wasn't upset. He was just like, and nah, we just stuck in the attic, girl. And she was like, yeah, you right, dad. (laughs) So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's 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 that pretty much sums that piece up. (laughs) But Anne, I'm telling you, she got this. It's like, nope, I'm not really interested like that. I mean, I love him, but, you know, in reality, this would never work. Right. Yeah. I think at some point in the story, um, Margot does say 
that she's not interested in Peter. She's happy for them too, that they have a um, kind of developed that friendship, but she does want something for herself. But not Peter. I think everyone, everyone kind of recognizes Peter is like you. Um, so Margo is like, listen, I know there's no one else, but I'm not interested in Peter. <laughs> and then Anne is like, well, I'm only interested in Peter because there's no one else. And the dad is like, this is all just foolishness because there's no one else. Peter is a young boy with very difficult parents who their communication often involves only fighting. So he feels very alone. The attention he's receiving from Anne feels a need in him. Also, like you were saying, he's getting something out of this, but he seems to be very genuine in his feelings. Like um, he, he also is alone. Everyone is alone in their own way. Yes, exactly. So in May of 1944, there seems to be a change in Holland, um, their attitudes toward the Jews. Anti-Semitism has cropped up uh, where once it was unthinkable. And according to the Christians, the Jews are blabbing their secrets to the Germans and denouncing their helpers, leading them to the punish to punishment. So it's like everybody is turning on people. Like, why would they do that? Just why? Why? Why yeah. would the. Why would put people themselves in um, at risk. isolation? Yeah. Sell out the only people who are helping them. Yeah. Um, but these type it's, of it's, lies or anomaly situations were being spread throughout Holland. Yeah, it, it is a thing. So, um, so much so that um, even I think I think it's Map um, asked. Yeah. She's like, do you think I'm an anti-Semite? And they're like, what? You've been risking your life for two years to help us. So, no, we don't. Um, but it left a lot of confusion. It caused a lot of confusion. Yeah. MEP has actually acted even nicer toward them because of the anti-Semitism that was going on in Holland, just so they would feel extra secure in their situation. So Anne, at some point, asked herself if it would have been better not to go into hiding, if maybe um, they were, she was dead and didn't have to go through this misery. Um, especially if she could have spared others of the burden and maybe if the helpers would have helped other families. Um, so she was, she was really starting to lose her optimism. She is really wishing that the end would come soon. She's like, it doesn't matter how cruel it is. At least um, we'll know whether we are the victors or the vanquished. Um, Anne actually got a root canal while she was in from... Now she said that was painful. That was crazy. That, yeah. So Anne gets this root canal. And I'm like, as as an adult myself, that was like the worst experience in my life. It was horrible. It was worse than yeah. pregnancy. It was terrible. But I also had an infection. So they say because you have an infection, that makes it a lot worse. But I wouldn't wish that on nobody. And to not have any. Um, uh, yeah, they like he, she was getting a shot of Novocaine. Right. Exactly. It was there was no numbing agent. <gasps> and at this point now this is like in june of 44 and then in july 44 Anne is feeling like peter is really starting to um lean on her a lot more than she wants him to and she's yeah. trying to encourage him she's trying to figure out a way to encourage him meet new people <laughs> to, like margo <laughs> to believe I mean. in himself by july 21st of 1944 there was an attempt on hitler's life and so this here was a cause for excitement because you could tell that there was a break, an internal breakdown. And of course, if there's an internal breakdown, there's a weakness and people can take advantage. So they were looking forward to that. On August 1st, 1944, on the last page of her diary, 
the last date she wrote in her diary. Anne is very reflective about what's going on in her life, improvements that she can make for herself. Yeah, she's very concerned about uh, making improvements in her life. She said, I'd like to be what I could be if only there were no other people in the world. As I've told you, what I say is not what I feel, which is why I have a reputation for being boy crazy, as well as a flirt, a smart aleck, and a reader of romances. The happy-go-lucky Anne laughs, gives a flippant reply, shrugs her shoulders, and pretends she doesn't give a darn. The quiet Anne reacts in just the opposite way. If I'm being completely honest, I'll have to admit that it does matter to me, that I'm trying very hard to change myself, but that I'm always up against a more powerful enemy. A voice within me is sobbing. You see, that's what's become of you. You're surrounded by negative opinions, dismayed looks, and mocking faces, people who dislike you, and all because you don't listen to the advice of your own better half. Believe me, I'd like to listen, but it doesn't work. Because if I'm quiet and serious, everyone thinks I'm putting on a new act, and I have to save myself with a joke. And then I'm not even talking about my own family, who assume I must be sick, stuff me with aspirins and sedatives, fill my neck and forehead to see if I have a temperature, ask about my bowel movements and berate me for being in a bad mood until I can't keep it up anymore. Because when everybody starts hovering over me, I get cross, then sad, and finally end up turning my heart inside out the bad part on the outside and the good part on the inside and keep trying to find a way to become what I'd like to be and what I could be if if only there were no other people in the world yours Anne M. Frank Anne's diary ends here that's how she closes out her diary and that well not closes out but that is the last thing she wrote in her diary so let's jump into what happened afterward On the morning of August 4th, 1944, between 10 o'clock and 1030, an SS sergeant and three Dutch security police officers armed but in civilian clothes came to the building, apparently tipped off. The eight people in hiding were arrested, as well as two helpers, Victor Kugler and Johannes Kleiman, but not Mep and Bep. They took all the valuables and cash that they could find in the annex. Kleiman and Kugler were taken to prison and later to a camp in Holland. Because of Mr. Kleiman's poor health, he was released on September 18, 1944, and remained in Amsterdam until his death in 1959. Klugler escaped his imprisonment on March 28, 1945, and he and fellow prisoners, as they were being sent to um, Germany as forced labor, He then immigrated to Canada in 1955, and he died in Toronto in 1981. Bep, one of the secretaries, died in Amsterdam in 1983. Mep died in 2010, and I believe it's her husband, Jan, who died in 1993. The eight residents of the annex were first brought to a prison in Amsterdam, and then a transit camp for Jews in North Holland. On September 3rd, 1944, they were deported to Auschwitz. Mr. Van Dan was gassed in October or November of 1944. Mrs. Van Dan was transported from Auschwitz to another camp. Although certain she didn't survive, the date of her death is unknown. Peter Van Dan was forced to take part in the January 16, 1945 death march from Auschwitz to Austria. 
where he died on May 5th, 1945, three days before the camp was liberated. Mr. Dussel died on December 20th, 1944 in a concentration camp. Mrs. Frank died in Auschwitz on January 6th, 1945 from hunger and exhaustion. Margot and Anne Frank were transported from Auschwitz to another camp in Hanover, Germany. There was a typhus epidemic that broke out that winter as a result of the hygienic conditions, and it killed thousands of prisoners, including Margot, and a few days later, Anne. Uh, they, they must have died late February or early March, and their bodies were likely dumped in mass graves. The camp was liberated by British troops on April 12, 1945. Otto Frank was the only one of the eight to survive the concentration camps. He later remarried and died in August of 1980 at the age of 91. The end. You want to take a quick break, Kari? Yeah, let's do it. Kari, what is your final yes. verdict and would you recommend this book? Um, even though Anne is talking about the mundane nature of a little girl's life, she writes in a way that is so um, entertaining. She's just a great writer, even from an early age. And one thing she really um, that really is translated in her work or um, brought to the fore is how all little girls have their hopes and dreams, things they're good at, things they worry about. Uh, when you other people, it's just to think that this girl went from living her life to living in um, isolation to death. And and she died just days before she would have been liberated. Mm -hmm. All of them did, except the father. Yeah. Um, and then for the father to survive, remarry and use his time to edit and publish his daughter's diary, this little girl's diary. He That became like his life's work. Um, it's just a very... Um, powerful story um, in the subtext and I love how the tenacity in this family and in these friends or, or, or um, acquaintances really shines through and I have to say uh, when I got to the afterward because it's so abrupt partially mm -hmm. I just cried and cried and cried mm -hmm. that was so so sad to think of um, Peter and his life being cut short um, none of them got to none of these children Margot, Anne or Peter got to live they didn't get to live and that wasn't fair so um yeah i would definitely recommend the diary of a young girl um i thought it was very i was captivated from beginning to end there were no dull moments for me and i would recommend um i would recommend it what about you what, what's your final verdict and would you recommend this book i'm actually glad i got to read this expanded or this definitive edition of the book i would definitely read it again this is my third reading of the book and I, i'm really glad that i um, has the opportunity to read more because her story always takes me back to my childhood. I feel like I can. Um, oh yeah, there's some nostalgia relate there to too. a lot of her experiences, and um, yeah. I always have a soft heart when I'm reading her book because that mm -hmm. that just drop off in her diary. You know, the, that being the mm -hmm. last page, that is always the saddest part to me. I mean, mm -hmm. you have this young girl that is 
full of life. I mean, and, and potential. She's, she's insightful. She she is, yeah. even though <laughs> she, she, she talks about her flaws. <laughs> she's talking yeah. about how she's, um, well, you know, I didn't really understand my mom. She didn't understand me. And um, I know my um, period had an effect on me. And I know I need to do this a little differently and, and do and consider others more. Uh, I know this Peter is not for me, but he is serving mm-hmm. a purpose at this time. And so I really enjoy reading this book and I look forward to the next time I, I do read it, even if it's, um you know, 20 years from now. Well, thank you for choosing the diary of a young girl by Anne Frank. What are we reading next week, Alexis? Word by word. The Secret Life of Dictionaries. Yes, word by word, a book that almost broke our brains. So it's going to be a fun episode. You can say <laughs> that three you. times. <laughs> yeah, thank you all for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Sanaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show five on Apple stars. Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. Love we you. love y'all too. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel. We just dipped a toe in the booktube pool. We so out we'll be there. there talking about <laughs> we'll be talking about books and everything else. You can find us um, Lit Society Pod or Lit Society Podcast on YouTube. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, read, read something. something.